Good afternoon and welcome, 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 welcome to the next instalment of Five Go Off to Camp. And we're on chapter 10 already, so halfway through this story. Wow. So, um, if you recall from yesterday, uh, oh... Was it Jock? I couldn't think what his name was then, sorry. Jock <clears throat> appeared in the middle of the night, didn't he? And they all decided, well, the boys decided, they would go hunting for spook trains. Now George is suspicious of them. So, chapter 10, Hunt for a Spook Train. That day passed pleasantly enough. The children, Timmy and Mr Luffy, all went off to a pool high up on the moorlands. It was called the Green Pool because of its cucumber green colour. Mr Luffy explained that some curious chemicals found there caused the water to look green. I hope we shan't come out looking green too, said Dick, getting into his bathing trunks. Are you going to bathe, Mr Luffy? Mr Luffy was. The children expected him to be a very poor swimmer and to splash about at the edge and do very little. But, to their surprise, he was magnificent in the water and could swim faster even than Julian. They had great fun and when they were tired they came out to bask in the sun. The high road ran alongside the green pool and the children watched a herd of sheep being driven along. Then a car or two came by. And finally, a big army lorry. A boy sat beside the driver and to the children, surprised, he waved wildly at them. Who was that? said Julian, astonished. Surely he doesn't know us. Georgie's sharp eye had seen who it was. It was Jock, sitting beside the tri driver. And look, here comes his stepfather's fine new car. Jock's preferred to go with a lorry driver instead of his stepfather, and I don't blame him either. The bright new car came by, driven by Mr Andrews. He didn't glance at the children by the wayside, but drove steadily on after the lorry. Oh, going to market, I suppose, said Dick, lying back again. Wonder what they're taking. Hmm, so do I, said Mr Luffy. He must sell his farm produce at very high prices to be able to buy that fine car and all the machinery and gear you've told me about. Clever fellow, Mr Andrews. He doesn't look at all clever, said Anne. He looks rather a weak, feeble sort of man, really, Mr Luffy. I can't even imagine him being clever enough to beat anyone down or get the better of them. Hmm. Very interesting, said Mr Luffy. Well, what about another dip before we have our dinner? It was a very nice day and Mr Luffy was very good company. He could make jokes very solemnly indeed and only the fact that his ear waggled violently showed the others that he too was enjoying the joke. His right ear seemed to love to join in the joke, even if Mr Luffy's face was as solemn as Timmy's. They arrived home at the camp about tea time and Anne got a fine tea ready. 
They took it down to eat in front of Mr Luffy's tent. As the evening came on, Julian and Dick felt excitement rising in them. In the daytime, neither of them had really believed a word about the spook trains. But as the sun sank and long shadows crept down the hills, they felt pleasantly thrilled. Would they really see anything exciting that night? It was a very dark night at first, because clouds lay across the sky and hid even the stars. The boys said goodnight to the girls and snuggled down into their sleeping bags. They watched the sky through the tent opening. Gradually, the big clouds thinned out. A few stars appeared. The clouds thinned still more and fled away in rags. Soon the whole sky was bright with pinpoints of light and a hundred thousand stars looked down on the moonland, moorlands. We shall have a bit of starlight to see by at least, whispered Julian. That's good. I don't want to stumble about over the heather and break my ankle in rabbit holes in the pitch darkness. Nor do I want to use my torch on the way to the yard in case it's seen. Oh, it's going to be fun, Dick whispered. I hope Jock comes. It'll be maddening if he doesn't. He did come. There was a scrambling over the heather. And once again, a shadow appeared at the tent opening. Julian, Dick, I've come. Are you ready? It was Jock's voice, of course. Dick's thumb pressed the switch of his torch and for a moment its light fell on Jock's red excited face and then was switched off again. Hello Jock, so you were able to come, said Dick. Was he, Was that you in the lorry this morning going by the green pool? Yes, did you see me? I saw you and waved like mad, said Jock. I wanted to stop the lorry and get down and speak to you but the driver's an Awful bad-tempered sort of fellow. He wouldn't hear of stopping, said my stepfather would be wild with him if he did. Did you see him? My stepfather, I mean. He was in the car behind. Were you off to market or something, asked Julian. I expect that's where the lorry was going, said Jock. It was empty, so I suppose my stepfather was going to pick up something there. I came back in the car. The lorry was supposed to come later. How did you like Cecil dear, love? asked Dick, grinning in the darkness. Awful! Worse than his name, groaned Jock. Wanted me to play soldiers all the time. The frightful thing is, I've got to have him at the farm for the day tomorrow. Another day wasted. What shall I do with him? Oh, roll him in the pigsty, suggested Dick, or put him with Biddy's puppies and let him sleep there. Tell him to pay, play soldiers with them. Jock chuckled. <sighs> I wish I could. The worst of it is, Mum's awfully pleased that my stepfather's got this Cecil boy for me to be friends with. Oh, don't let's talk about it. Are you ready to start off? Yes, said Julian, and began to scramble quietly out of his bag. We didn't tell the girls. Anne doesn't want to come and I don't want George to leave Anne by herself. Now, let's be very, very quiet till we're out of hearing. Dick got out of his sleeping bag too. 
The boys had not undressed that night except for their coats, so all they had to do was slip these on and then crawl out of the tent. Which is the way? Over there, whispered Jock. Julian took his arm and guided him. He hoped he wouldn't lose his way in the starlit darkness. The moorland looked so different at night. If we make for that hill you can dimly see over there, against the starlit sky, we should be going in the right direction, said Julian. So on they went, keeping towards the dark hill that rose up to the west. It seemed very much further to the railway yard at night than in the daytime. The three boys stumbled along, sometimes almost falling as their feet caught in tufts of heather. They were glad when they found some sort of path they could keep on. This is about where we met the shepherd, said Dick in a low voice. He didn't know why he spoke so quietly. He just felt as if he must. I'm sure we can't be very far off now. They went on for some way. Then Julian pulled Dick by the arm. Look, he said, down there. I believe that's the old yard. You can just see the lines gleaming faintly here and there. They stood on the heathery slope, looking down above into the old yard, straining their eyes. Soon they could make out dim shapes. Yes, it was the railway yard, all right. Jock clutched Julian's sleeve. Look, there's a light down there. Do you see it? The boys looked. And sure enough, down in the yard, towards the other side of it, was a small yellow light. They stared at it. Oh, I think I know what it is, said Dick at last. It's the light in the watchman's little hut. Old wooden leg Sam's candle. Don't you think so, Jew? Yes, you're right, said Julian. I tell you what we'll do. We'll creep right down into the yard and go over to the hut. We'll peep inside and see if old Sam is there. Then we'll hide somewhere about and wait for the spook trains to come. They crept down the slope. Their eyes had got used to the starlight by now and they were beginning to see fairly well. They got right down to the yard where their feet made a noise on some cinders. They stopped. Someone will hear us if we make a row like this, whispered Julian. Who will, whispered back Dick. There's no one here except old Sam and his hut. How do you know there isn't, said Julian. Good heavens, Jock, don't make such a row with your feet. They stood there debating what was the best thing to do. We'd better walk right around the edge of the yard, said Julian at last. As far as I remember, the grass has grown there. We'll walk on that. So they made their way to the edge of the yard. Sure enough, there was grass there and they walked on it without a sound. They went slowly and softly to where the light shone dimly in Sam's little hut. The window was high and small. It was just about at the level of their heads. And the three boys cautiously eased themselves along to it and looked in. Wooden Leg Sam was there. He sat sprawled in a chair, smoking a pipe. He was reading a newspaper, squinting painfully as he did so. He obviously had not 
had his broken glasses mended yet. On a chair beside him was his wooden leg. He had unstrapped it and there it lay. He's not expecting the spook train tonight or he wouldn't have taken off his wooden leg, whispered Dick. The candlelight flickered and shadows jumped about the tiny hut. It was a poor, ill-furnished little place, dirty and untidy. A cup without saucer or handle stood on the table and a tin kettle boiled on a rusty stove. Sam put down his paper and rubbed his eyes. He muttered something. The boys could not hear it, but they felt certain it was something about his broken glasses. Are there many lines in this yard? whispered Jock, tired of looking in at old Sam. Where do they go to? About half a mile or so up there's a tunnel, said Julian, pointing past Jock. The line comes from there and run here where they break up in many pairs for shunting and so on. In the old days, I suppose, when this place was used. Let's go up the lines to the tunnel, said Jock. Come on, there's nothing to be seen here. Let's walk up to the tunnel. All right, said Julia, we may as well. I don't expect we'll see much up there either. I think these spook trains are all a tall story of old Sam's. They left the little hut with its forlorn candlelight and made their way round the yard again. Then they followed the single track line away from the yard and up towards the tunnel. It didn't seem to matter walking on cinders now and making a noise. They walked along, talking in low voices. And then things began to happen. A far-off muffled noise came rumbling out of the tunnel, which was now so near that the boys could see its black mouth. Julian heard it first. He stood still and clutched Dick. Hey, listen, can you hear that? The others listened. Yes, said Dick, but it's only a train going through one of the underground tunnels. The noise is echoing out through this one. It isn't. That noise is made by a train coming through this tunnel, said Julian. The noise grew louder and louder. A clanking made itself heard too. The boys stepped off the lines and crouched together by the side, waiting, hardly daring to breathe. Could it be the spook train? They watched for the light of an engine lamp to appear like a fiery eye in the tunnel, but none came. It was darker than night in there, but the noise came nearer and nearer and nearer. Could there be the noise of a train without uh, without? a train being there? Julian's heart began to beat twice as fast and Dick and Jock found themselves clutching one another without even knowing it. The noise grew thunderous and then out from the tunnel came something long and black with a dull glow in front that passed quickly and was gone. 
The noise deafened the boys, and then the clanking and the rumbling grew less as the train, or whatever it was, passed by. The ground trembled, and then was still. Well, there you are, said Julian in a rather trembly voice. The spook train, without a signal or a light. Where's it gone? To the yard, do you think? Shall we go and see, asked Dick. I didn't see anyone in the cab, even in the glow of what must have been the fire there. But there must be someone driving it. I say, what a weird thing, isn't it? It sounded real enough anyway. We'll go to the yard, said Jock, who of the three seemed the least affected. Come on. They made their way very slowly, and then Dick gave a sharp cry. Oh, blow, I've twisted my ankle. Half a minute. He sank down to the ground in great pain. It was only a sharp twist, not a sprain. But a few minute, for a few minutes, Dick could do nothing but groan. The others dared not leave him. Julian knelt by him, offering to rub the ankle, but Nick, Dick wouldn't let him touch it. Jock stood by anxiously. It took about twenty minutes for Dick's ankle to be strong enough for him to, be st to stand on it again. With the help of the others, he got to his feet and tested his ankle. It's all right, I think. I can walk on it slowly. Now we'll go to the yard and see what's happening. But even as they started to walk slowly back, they heard a noise coming up the lines from the far away yard. Rumble, 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 jangle, clank. It's coming back again, said Julian. Stand still, watch. It'll be going back into the tunnel. They stood still and watched and listened. Again the noise came nearer and grew thunderous. They saw the glow of what might be the fire in the cab and then it passed. The train disappeared into the blackness of the tunnel mouth and they heard the echo of its rumblings for some time. Well, there you are. Ha! There is a spook train, said Julian, trying to laugh, although he felt a good deal shaken. It came and it went. Where from and where to, nobody knows. But we've heard it and seen it in the darkness of the night. And jolly creepy it was too. Oh my goodness me. Did you believe that there really were spook trains? I don't think I did. Oh, deary me. Well... That was a little bit of a shock, wasn't it? <laughs> so tomorrow we might find out a little bit more. What do you think? I hope so. So until then, make sure you take care and stay safe. And I'll see you all tomorrow for chapter 11. Bye for now.